Welcome to another edition of Fair Territory. It's late May. Things are happening. I want to get right into it with the team I saw this weekend, the team that won three or four from the Los Angeles Dodgers, the team that seemingly has risen from the doldrums. I'm talking about the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, if you were watching the broadcast on Saturday, and I know it wasn't available all over the country, but here is what I said, and it kind of got a reaction from John Smoltz and Joe Davis. I said that it would not be a surprise if the Cardinals win the NL Central by 10 games. That's right, 10. You might say, how is that even in your head, Ken, when they were 10 games out on May 6th? Well, they are now five games out, and if you haven't noticed... The NL Central is not the powerhouse division that perhaps the AL East is. In fact, let's go through it a little bit. I want to show you why I am so bullish on the Cardinals. And it's not because they're so great. They've got their flaws, and we'll get into that. But look at this board here, and look at how the NL Central outside of St. Louis sets up. Milwaukee, the team in first place right now, a team that I love, Craig Council. They always do a great job. But... Wade Miley, Brandon Woodruff, Aaron Ashby, all on the injured list. And the rotation is the strength of that club. Pittsburgh, great start. 4-14 since the 20-8 open. The Cubbies started 11-6, 9-20 since. And Cincinnati, they're lucky to even make this list. Well, they are in the division. Second worst record in the National League. So I just don't see the competition as being very good. And I expect the Cardinals to blow by every one of those teams as the summer progresses. Now, they do have their issues. 22nd in the majors in rotation ERA. That's the big issue. We identified it before the season started. People have been talking about it throughout the industry. Why didn't they improve their rotation? Well, they'll have a chance at the deadline. Another issue is the Wilson Contreras saga, which seemingly has settled down. The Cardinals would have you believe that all of the angst that took place will be worth it because one bad week might lead to five great years. And maybe that's true. Maybe it all turns out that way. Wilson Contreras, though, is an offensive catcher. His history suggests that he is not the best behind the plate. He works hard. He does care. And maybe he'll fix this because he is intent now on getting this straight. There's all this talk out there. He has been publicly embarrassed, scapegoated, for lack of a better term. And again, okay, maybe that all settles down. But at some point, they have to address that rotation, even if this supposed organizational catharsis took place. And all is well now in Cardinals country. Kumbaya with Wilson Contreras and the starting rotation. I'm not so sure that's the case, but it's definitely been better since he has been back behind the plate. But the bigger question for this team going forward, what will they do at the deadline? Now, the Cardinals occasionally frustrate their fans because they are not an all-in team, ever. Now, a lot of general managers would suggest you should never be all-in because you can't put all of your investment in one season. You have to try to be good every year. The Cardinals are good every year. They do that. We've seen this now. Nine playoff appearances in the last 12 years, four in a row. But they have not won a World Series since 2011. They went to the World Series in 13, lost to the Red Sox. So what they are is sort of the Midwest version of the Dodgers in a sense. They're good every year. They're almost in contention or in the playoffs every year. But they haven't gotten to that next level, which is winning the World Series, which is what it's all about. Now, 
The reason I would suggest this year is different for them. I would suggest this year they should go to a greater extent all in is because of the way they are set up contractually. Look at what happens after this year. Flaherty is a free agent. Wainwright probably will retire. Montgomery is a free agent. That's three starting pitchers. Paul Goldschmidt, after next year, is a free agent. So there should be some urgency here. And Arenado and Goldschmidt, they're in their 30s. So this is the best we're going to see of them, most likely. This is the time for the Cardinals to go for it. Now, they didn't go for it in the offseason to many people's satisfaction, their fan satisfaction. They didn't address their starting rotation. They did sign Contreras for $87.5 million. We'll see how that plays out. Certainly from an offensive standpoint, he is what you want. But the defensive question is there, and it's going to be there until we see over a sustained period that it's not a problem. So that's my question. Do you settle for winning the division again because I believe, again, that they're going to win the division? Or do you make a stronger step, a stronger push toward perhaps playing deeper in October? That's where the Cardinals are right now. They're five out, but they're coming. Now, if you missed it, I wrote a story with Chandler Rome of The Athletic on Sunday about the Tampa Bay Rays and their situation regarding their ballpark in St. Petersburg or in Tampa and just where everything is. And there was a new twist to this situation. And it comes at a time when they probably are closer to getting a ballpark in St. Pete than ever before. They've been approved as part of the development team to develop the area around Tropicana Field, build a new 30,000-seat ballpark on that site, and really have something special take place. Now, they still need public funding. And as we have seen, public funding is not so easy to come by. The Oakland A's are trying to get public funding in Las Vegas. Las Vegas and the state of Nevada, not so willing, not jumping to do this. So the Rays are still in a bit of limbo, though they're pretty far along in this process. So what we reported, Chandler and I, is that they are getting interest in purchasing the club from local buyers, one in particular named Dan Doyle Jr. He runs this massive office technology company, been quite successful. He's a Tampa-based guy. And they've also gotten interest from groups in the expansion cities, the cities that are trying to get an expansion team. Remember, the sport is going to expand to 32 once the Tampa Bay and Oakland situations are resolved. And what's intriguing about that, from my perspective, let's say you're Nashville, just as an example. You can pay a $2 billion expansion fee, which is probably what it's going to be at minimum. Or you can buy the Rays for maybe $2 million, and what do you get? Oh, the best team in baseball. The infrastructure's already there. You're not getting the Oakland A's, folks. You're getting this powerhouse every year on a limited budget and maybe in a new home with greater resources. They'll spend more money, be even stronger, put everything into play. So from that perspective, you can see why a group in an expansion city would be interested in buying the Rays and relocating them rather than go through the uncertainty of the expansion process. Now, after we reported what we did, Chandler and I, this was early Sunday morning, the owner of the Rays, Stuart Sternberg, issued a statement to John Romano of the Tampa Bay Times. And here is what Sternberg said. I expect we will build a ballpark in Tampa Bay that will keep the Rays here for generations to come. I also plan on remaining the Rays owner. 
Now, I should say when we contacted the Rays for comment, they did not comment on what we had. This comment from Stuart Sternberg to John Romano came in response to what we had published. And I wouldn't have expected him to say anything different. Yes, they are focused on building a ballpark in Tampa Bay. Yes, that does seem to be their first option, whether it happens in St. Petersburg or whether it happens in Tampa. And yes, Sternberg does plan on remaining the Rays owner, but as we reported, he has options if things go amiss, if things don't go his way. So this is something to keep track of. It's quite interesting as the A situation plays out and the Rays situation plays out. We're going to get to 32 eventually, but it's going to take some more time and there might be some twists along the way. And finally, as we complete this first segment, I want to talk about the best player in the game right now. He's a guy I don't believe is getting enough attention for what he's doing, and that would be Braves right fielder Ronald Acuna Jr. Leading the majors in Fangraphs version of war, also tied for the lead in Baseball References version of war with Marcus Semien. Now, war is not a perfect statistic. We all know that. It's an estimate, but it encompasses offense, defense, and base running. And my goodness, Ronald Acuna Jr. is shining in every aspect of the game. He's on a 39 homer, 63 stolen base pace. So 40-40, certainly within his reach. And as Andrew Simon of MLB.com pointed out over the weekend in a great article, there are only two players, two, who have led either the National League or American League in OPS and stolen bases. OPS and stolen bases since 1947 when the sport integrated. Those two guys, well, we know them by their first names. Ricky and Willie. Ricky Henderson, Willie Mays. One day, as Andrew pointed out, we might know Ronald Acuna only by his first name, too. And again, what he is doing for that team as a catalyst at the top of the lineup, you can't say enough about it. And check out these statistics just in the first inning. 22 for 42, seven doubles, two homers, three walks, seven steals. And he is the reason why that second stat is relevant as well. The Braves have scored a major league high 18 runs within the game's first 10 pitches. That's amazing. And that's demoralizing to an opponent. So you might say, ah, why aren't teams pitching him differently? Why can't they get it together in the first inning against Acuna Jr.? Well, he's really good. That's one reason. And what are you going to do? Pitch around them? Pitch around them with none out in the first inning? No. You've got to pitch to him. So from his base running to his play in right field, which has been stellar, gold glove quality, to his offensive game, of course, which is brilliant, Ronald Acuna Jr. has been the player in full, the player we've wanted to see, and one other thing. He has shown this season a certain maturity that you didn't hear Braves people talk about before regarding Acuna Jr. He was not necessarily a clubhouse problem, but I don't know that he was considered a plus either. And he's a quiet guy. He, like a Rosarena, can be flamboyant on the field, but is relatively quiet off the field. But he also wasn't necessarily with the program the way I understood it. There were some specific things I heard, but nothing I could report. Nothing terrible. Just stuff that eh, didn't reflect so well on him. This year, hearing just the opposite. That he is mature, that he is a presence, he's a stabilizing force. Everything you'd want to hear about a player. So, Ronald Acuna Jr., best player in the game right now. Pay attention. Time now for the Inside Dish. This is the portion of the show where I take you inside a story that I might have done over the past week, or I expound a 
upon maybe a story from my career, something cool that I might have experienced or witnessed, whatever the case might be. This week, it's kind of a combination of both. I wrote today about managers, kind of a status check on their statuses. It seems that no one is really on the hot seat. And that is a surprise because at this time of year, we're about a quarter of the way through, this is when you start to see things happening. And the reason I know things happen this time of year is because at the outset of my career, actually it was my fifth year covering baseball, 1991. I had gotten married at the end of 1989. My wife was pregnant with our first child. And on May 21st, 1991, our first child, Samuel Joseph Rosenthal, was born. That day, the Cubs fired Don Zimmer as manager. The next day, the Royals fired John Wathen as manager. And that night, I'm listening to the Orioles on the radio. Yes, on the radio. I don't believe the game that night was on television. Orioles are getting crushed. Frank Robinson is their manager, and I'm thinking, oh no, he's getting fired tomorrow, and I've promised my wife that I would be there for several days. This was our first child. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. The whole deal. I uttered the words, I think, don't worry, honey, I'll be there. Well, that's the biggest lie in baseball writing, biggest lie in sports journalism, probably the biggest lie in journalism, because journalism, things happen. Your life gets immediately disrupted and you just have to kind of pick up and go. Sure enough, the next day, Frank Robinson gets fired. So the first three days of my son's life, first three days, a manager gets fired. And for that, it became kind of a sensation. It actually got around the country that this had happened, that this baseball writer in Baltimore, man, he's got a son and every day of his life, a big league manager has gone down. And Jerome Holtzman, the late Jerome Holtzman, the great baseball writer from the Chicago Tribune, he actually wrote a column about this, called it the curse of Samuel Joseph. Yes, and it was at that time somewhat of a curse. And then Sam also made it into Baltimore Magazine, best of Baltimore because of his curse. And it turns out that in the years that followed, right around his birthday, things would start to happen and managers would get fired. And I wrote occasionally about the curse of Samuel Joseph, make kind of a joke about it. We always joked about it at home. Sam, it's your birthday, it's getting to be that time of year, somebody's gonna get fired. Well, this year, I should say, Sam turned 32, and we had a delightful birthday. Sam was here with his girlfriend, we had a celebration, wasn't disrupted at all, there was no drama, no nothing. Because things have changed a little bit in the game. And while there were four in-season firings last season, this season, it doesn't seem like it's going that way at all. Now, there could be a lot of action at the end of the year, contractual situations, things of that nature, things that are coming up. There are six managers on the last years of contracts. But for now, things are relatively quiet. So the curse of Samuel Joseph, it seems to have gone the way of the knockdown pitch, the defensive shift. It almost seems like it's becoming extinct. But man, it was something while it lasted. Time for Dude and Dork of the Week. The dude this week, it's pretty easy. It's the guy who kind of engaged in some side-eye shenanigans, but a guy who has also hit, or at one point did this week, seven home runs in a span of seven games. That would be Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. Don't look now, but guess who is leading the major leagues in OPS again? 
that would be Aaron Judge. A little bit of a slow start, but he's back to being Judge. And man, seven homers in seven games, big homers in big situations, particularly in that Blue Jays series, which was drama from start to finish. Aaron Judge is back. Honorable mention, dude. Actually, it's an entire team of dudes. It's the Baltimore Orioles. 12-7 and seven in May, swept the Blue Jays in Toronto this weekend. And I looked at the Orioles as a nice story last year, finally coming out of the rebuild. Even the first month, I was like, okay, they're playing well again. But when they went into Atlanta at the start of the month and lost two of three, I was like, whoa, this is a real team. Because the way they lost those games, they were in every one of them. They could have won all three. They played the Braves really tough. They then, at home, beat Tampa Bay, best team in baseball, two of three. They've also played well against the Pirates and Angels before going into Toronto and just playing at an extremely high level. So they are the collective honorable mention dudes of the week. And I will add this. I've worked for Fox for 18 years on television. I've never covered a postseason game in Camden Yards where I spent much of my career when I was with the Baltimore Sun and later even with the Sporting News. That was my home park. I would love to cover a postseason game in Camden Yards. Now, there have been postseason games at Camden during that time, but either the Orioles were knocked out before we got there or we had the National League and not the American League, whatever the case might be. This year, we have the American League. I am fired up about the possibility of doing a postseason game at Camden. Dork of the week. Hey, it's from the same team as Aaron Judge. It would be Domingo Herman. Now, a mere ejection for sticky stuff, that might not get you dork of the week. Whatever. You get ejected, okay, you get caught, whatever. Domingo Herman, however, April 15th was forced to wash his hands and was not ejected by the grace of umpire James Hoy's crew. Domingo Herman on Tuesday is pitching again. Crew is essentially the same. Three of the four umps were the same, including Hoy. Guess what? Domingo Herman does it again and gets ejected. It is that that gets him dork of the week. Not that he gets ejected, but for doing it again in front of the same crew. You got to be a little smarter than that, Domingo. You're dork of the week. I always apologize, feeling badly about giving someone dork of the week, but these people who get it generally earn it. This week on Fox, we've got Reds at Cubs. Not exactly a matchup of powerhouses, actually a rematch of last year's Field of Dreams game. But I am intrigued to see the Reds because they are starting to bring up their top prospects. Matt McClain being foremost among them, but they've got some others coming as well. And they are a team that scouts are talking about as one that could be much improved in the future. So it could be a fresh look at a team that has been down for a while, a team that spends no money. We know that. But they've got some kids coming. They made that trade with Seattle last year, if you remember. That was a great trade with Castillo. They got a ton back there. I'm intrigued by the Reds. All right, let's get to the fan questions. First one comes from David Camacho, and David is fired up because he's writing in all capital letters. He says, am I the only one who notices that Buck Showalter has a negative history when it comes to playing young players? David, you are not the only one. Mets fans have been talking about this for quite some time. And actually, in my view, it's a little bit of a bad rap with regard to this team with regard to where the Mets are now. Just look what happened over the past week. They were fueled and have been during this five-game winning streak, every win by one run, 
by the baby Mets, as Francisco Lindor calls them. Alvarez, Vientos, Beatty. These kids are playing significant roles. Now, they might not be playing as much as a fan would like. In Vientos' case, he's a little bit of a tight squeeze because he plays first and third, neither particularly well. Third is Beatty's position. First is Alonzo's position. You can DH him, of course, and they've done that to some degree. Alvarez was a guy everyone was worried about not playing, rightly so. But because of the injuries to Narvaez and to Nito, he's gotten a real chance here. And he's been quite impressive. Above league average in terms of offensive production. And defensively, which was the big question, this guy looks like he has a presence behind the plate. And he has some tools and seems to have a good feel for what is going on. So he's going to play. When Narvaez and Nito gets back, it gets more complicated. And now Gary Sanchez is with them as well. But Alvarez, in my view, has made a really strong statement for himself. And Beatty, of course, well, he's pretty much the everyday third baseman. They'll sit him against some lefties, but he is playing. So I don't know that you can say Buck is holding it against the kids. They may have been a little slow to bring them up. All right, I'll give you that. But teams generally are reluctant to move quickly with their prospects. They want them to get as much seasoning as possible. I don't think the service time thing is an issue here, but... It's not like the Mets are the first team to move at a deliberate pace with their prospects. And keep in mind this, too, with regard to Showalter. He can't simply turn his back on his veteran players, many of whom are making quite good money. Marcana, $11.5 million. Escobar, $9.5 million. Narvaez, $8 million. Tommy Pham, $6 million. Sorry, you can't just bury those guys. All right, on to the next question now. It comes from, well, the banana man parentheses, baseball addict. His real name appears to be Louis Damaro. Thank you, Louis, for the question. He asks, which top team right now is most likely to fail, well, he means fall, out of their position before the All-Star break? Some spelling issues there. Hey, it happens. I'll mention two teams here, and I don't necessarily believe either is going to fall off, but maybe they're playing a little bit above themselves right now. And those two teams are the Orioles and Rangers. Now, I just saying the Orioles' praises, and I'm not taking any of that back. But if you're asking me, can they fall off from 31-17, and 17, the second-best record in baseball? Yeah, I believe that they might not be able to continue that. And the Rangers, third-best record in baseball, along with the Braves, tied for third. They, too, are quite impressive, and the only thing that concerns me with them is the bullpen. Their rotation, with DeGrom making only six starts, fifth in the majors in rotation ERA. Their offense... It's been amazing. Without Seager for most of the year, they lead the majors in runs per game by almost a half run per game. The bullpen is something they're going to have to address. There's no doubt about that. The Orioles are kind of in an opposite position. My bigger concern with them is not the bullpen, which is amazing, but the rotation. Now, their rotation has probably been better than I thought. Still ranks 19th in the majors in ERA. If there is going to be a downfall with that club, it probably will be in their starting staff. And also with the Orioles, and with the Rangers for that matter, I want to see both those teams active at the deadline because there will be some regression that inevitably incurs. You've got to guard against that by getting some other players. All right, on to our final question. Let's see what we have here. It comes from Luke Williamson, and he asks, is the Rays' bullpen the only thing from them being an odds-on favorite to represent the American League in the World Series? Fair point, and I would agree, Luke, that that is the only thing, really, that you would have a concern about right now. 
it's the biggest weakness in their team. Statistically, 16th in the league in bullpen ERA, middle of the pack. They're not middle of the pack in scoring. They're not middle of the pack in the rotation, even with the injuries. 12th highest percentage of inherited runners who have scored. That's an issue, too. Remember, Andrew Kittridge out all season. Tommy John surgery. They also lost Gary Clevenger to a knee sprain. Physically, they've had some issues. Obviously, there's been some inconsistencies with some of their relievers as well. So, yes, that is the area of concern with the Rays. But the good news for the Rays, as it is for the Rangers and any other team that is in need of bullpen help, the most available commodity at the deadline is generally relief pitching. Bullpen arms can be had. So these teams were in position to supplement, and they probably both should and probably both will. All right, next week we are back on Tuesday, not Monday, our regularly scheduled day because of the Memorial Day holiday. We will be observing the holiday. I'm sure most of you will be too. So we'll take an extra day and we'll come back on Tuesday. Also, another new wrinkle we're going to introduce next week, if you guys are willing. Please feel free to submit videos with your fan questions. Rather than just respond on Twitter, you can submit a video. And if it's a good one or if you're inclined, we'll show it on our show. And we'll be happy to do that. I'd like to see some of your faces rather than just your egg icons on Twitter. Well, you know, your anonymous kind of way that you go about it. Let's see your faces. Let's have some fun with that. Feel free, guys. Send in the videos, ask your questions, and we'll go about it that way. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And please like or subscribe to us on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. Foul Territory fans, listen up. Our friends at BetMGM are running an MLB Bet $10, get $100 instantly promo with the bonus code SPICYMLB. Here's how it works. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android. Place a pregame money line wager of at least $10 on any MLB team to win at standard odds price, and you will receive $100 in bonus bets instantly. If you sign up in Massachusetts or Ohio, you receive $200 in bonus bets. Use the bonus code SPICYMLB.